Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Just to get the full effect here, last night I was praying and said, God, I want the full Christmas movie experience, so please give us all kinds of snow, give us icy roads so we can get here um, unsafely and have the true Minnesotan experience, and um, if that doesn't show that God answers my prayers, I don't know what does, um, but we're moving somewhere because last year I prayed that we'd have no snow and it'd be 70 degrees all winter long, but he didn't hear me on that one, so um, I must have been extra good this year, but... My wife would say otherwise. So, uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Derek. I am one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, we are officially at the movies uh, for Christmas this year. And so if you're newer to that, what we do is we take some of our favorite Christmas movies and we talk about how they relate to Jesus and God. And even if they have nothing to do with God, we're still going to pull something out of them because that's what we do. But uh, at Bible college, they tell you, you always got to know what your audience looks like. They always tell you, you got to have a good basis about what you're preaching to. And so I decided to take that very spiritual discipline and do something very unspiritual with it. I want to see who has good taste in Christmas movies, all right? Because some of y'all have some really bad tastes, like Hallmark is really bad, all right? It's boring. You can know from the moment you hit play, there's going to be a businessman who is a really awful fiance, but he's going to be married to this super sweet and sensitive, beautiful woman, but she's going to go back home for the holidays and find her formerly high school crush who's a lumberjack and has a beard and is awesome, and you know without a shadow of a doubt, they're getting married, the engagement's getting off, and all is well, and it's going to snow on the last day of their first kiss, right? Is that not true? Okay? Thank you. For the record, I'm officially dead because my wife loves Hallmark movies. So, Merry Christmas to me. You guys can pray for me after this, all right? But I want to know what you guys like for Christmas movies, right? So I'm going to say a Christmas movie. If you think that's a great Christmas movie, I need a good round of applause. If you think it's a great Christmas movie... If you think it's trash, just give me a golf clap, okay? So there should be some form of applause in here, all right? So I'm going to start with a tried-and-true classic, and there's a stipulation with this one. The original Grinch cartoon. If you see my son running around here, he calls that the door Grinch because he has a picture of that form of the Grinch on his door. So that's officially the door Grinch around our household. Second movie, Home Alone. Yeah. If I would have said Home Alone 3, you guys would have walked out the door, all right? It's trash. Miracle on 34th Street. Not my favorite, I'm sorry. But for you who clapped, I respect you and love you, just a little less than everybody else. It's a Wonderful Life. Confession, okay? Confession. I would rather watch Paint Dry than watch that movie. Only because it's so good, right? It's so good. But you have to go through two hours of pure depression to get to the ten minutes of pure joy. All right? I, I just, I, I, when I sit down, I, just, I need something happy and joyful. Like, jingle all the way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
like nobody. Cool. That's a great movie. It's, and it's filmed in Minnesota. It's got a rich history. It's the mailman in that movie is the absolute funniest guy I know of. It's awesome. All right, a few more here. Um, Deck the Halls. Cool. Well, let's pray, guys. Lord, be with our congregation. This one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless some people in this room, okay? Because this next movie, if you think you have a dysfunctional family, you will love this movie because it'll make you feel so much better about your family. Four Christmases. Okay. It's all about, if you need to go home and watch this, find it, rent, whatever you got to do, because it's about these two people who have a very dysfunctional family on each side. And so every year they try and sneak away for the holidays. But... As they're in the airport on Christmas Eve, there's a huge snowstorm and there's news crews saying, we're snowed out. There's no one going to be here. What are you going to do with your time? And it's this couple who's now on TV. So all their families know you're stuck. Come home for the holidays. And it's pure chaos. All right. And I've saved the best for last. Because if you're going to watch a good Christmas movie, this is the one you're going to watch. Die Hard. Nothing says Christmas like blood and bullets. You know, you, you would think after a while, John McClane would just like stay home for Christmas, all right? Because anytime he leaves, the whole world falls apart and, you know, maybe it wouldn't be all bad to just stay home. But uh, I love Christmas movies. I love grabbing uh, hot chocolate, a blanket, uh, snuggling with my family and just having a good Christmas movie. And so I'm excited to preach from one of my favorite Christmas movies today, Santa Claus 2. I love that clip because Chet, that reindeer, is like my dog, all right? He's a gold retriever. He loves to hump. He is also a spaz, all right? So he always mauls me when I get in the door. But who has seen Santa Claus 2? Anybody? 
Okay, it's a great movie. If you have not seen it, I highly recommend you go home and watch it, but it's Santa Claus 2. The original uh, was came out much earlier, but it's all about Tim Allen or Scott Calvin in the movie who sees Santa fall off the roof and the Santa disappears. His coat's laying there. He puts on the coat and realizes, oh, now I'm Santa Claus. And so he learns how to be Santa. But this one, Santa Claus 2, he's been Santa for a few years, but as you saw... The primary theme, the primary core of this movie is he has to get married. All right? They call it the Santa Clause, like a legal clause, that he has to get married. Play on words. I miss it for the first 10 years of my life. I feel like an adult now. It's awesome. So the whole movie is about how he needs to find a wife to remain being Santa Claus, because without that, he can't be Santa Claus anymore. So that's what I want to pick up today, how to find a wife when your employer requires it. All right, so we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2, and uh, I thought that was going to flop, so thank you for laughing. If that was going to flop, I was going to be in some real deep doo-doo, because I even put a pause in here on purpose. So thank you for laughing at that one, all right? Uh, but... In all seriousness, the, the whole crux of the Santa Claus 2, uh, as any Santa Claus movie should be, is this whole idea of belief, all right? Like, you have some people in the movie who don't believe in Santa. You have some people who are really believers in Santa, and they, like, make a fool of themselves in public, dancing and spreading holiday spirit. You guys know nobody like that. Uh, but there's also this whole belief on, on like, people. And the characters have different beliefs on Christmas. Some characters love each other. Some people don't love each other. And so this whole movie, there's ebb and flow just like life, which I like it. But what it boils down to for me in this movie is this idea of perceptions. Because they all have these experiences. They all have these experiences with Santa. They have the experiences with each other. And they all have these experiences or these moments that they interact with people and it develops into a perception. They perceive people this way. And as time goes on, that perception becomes more of a belief system. And we do this a lot in general, in real life, all the time, even with silly stuff, okay? Um, despite what my figure might insinuate, um, I didn't eat the healthiest growing up. Uh, my mom is a wonderful, amazing woman who cannot cook to save her life. <laughs> if you could not pull it out of a frozen bag follow the instructions, set it to 400 degrees Fahrenheit and put it in the oven. I did not eat it because she would openly tell you she burns water. All right. She burns toast and she has a wonderful kitchen these days that she never uses. And so um, I grew up eating a combination of chicken nuggets, tater tots, pizza rolls, pizza rolls, pizza rolls, chicken nuggets, tater tots, and pizza rolls. That was about my diet growing up. And uh, so I quickly established this perception that um, fruits and vegetables, not necessary, <laughs> not good, don't need them. And uh, that perception eventually gave way to a belief of, um, I don't like vegetables or fruits or anything healthy for that matter, and which was awesome when I married a very health-conscious, health-minded woman, because uh, she met me in college. And she would ask, hey, I'm going to pick up some um, strawberries. Do you want some? And I quickly said, I'm good. She goes, you don't like strawberries? No. Have you had strawberries? No. <laughs> but I don't like them, right? I don't like vegetables because I just believe I don't like vegetables because I've grown up with pizza rolls my whole life and I'm just fine without them. And she quickly said, okay, let's try 
Brussels sprouts and asparagus, and now we're much more balanced, aren't we? A little bit, a little bit. I went from zero to like three vegetables and four fruits, all right? So we're getting somewhere eventually. But these perceptions really become a belief. And if you, believe, if you perceive something and see something and experience something, it's amazing how fast it becomes just a core belief of you. Because you do it with people all the time. Have you ever met that person who's got that resting face that just makes it look like they hate you? Like they just got that permanent scowl of like, and you see them and they go, cool, they want to shank me in my sleep. <laughs> they just have that permanent resting scowl. And you see them and they could be having the greatest day in the world, but you'd never know it. And so you are perceiving that person to go, they're rude. They're a Scrooge. They're a grouch. They're mean. They must, that must be who they are. And so what happens is we just believe that's who they are and we start to treat them as such. Like I'm going to avoid that person because they're mean and they're rude and they're not welcoming. Or you see that person over there who's making life choice that maybe you don't agree with and you just think that they're just, they're just a rotten soul. They're just a rotten apple. Not giving any testament to the fact that maybe they're going through something that's awful and horrendous and we're awful for judging them as such. But do you see how quickly these perceptions and these things we experience, it's, 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 it's so fast. We go to the Mall of America. If you want to see something awesome, go to the Mall of America. Heck, save the drive. Go to Walmart, okay? And you'll see something awesome. But we walk through Walmart with our lists, with our stuff, and we see people, and we immediately start making decisions about who they are, what they're like, and what, who they really are as a person. At least, at least just what I do. Maybe nobody else in this room does that. But these perceptions, it's almost like it immediately goes to a a belief. We perceive something, we see something, and that's just how it is. That must be reality. And you know we do that with God. It's crazy how many people will tell me, like, I talk to them, and it's so awesome because I get to talk to people a lot as part of my job. I am around people. Then they always ask me the question I hate that they ask me. What do you do for a living? I've started to come up with like a dilemma of like, how can I not say pastor? Um, oh, um, I help people, or um, I'm a teacher, or um, I'm a Nerf expert. <laughs> I'm really good at shooting Nerf guns at, at teenagers. It's become my career. Because here's what happens. What do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Wall goes up. Especially if they've been like swearing in front of me. It's like my favorite thing. We're having a great conversation about how awful the Vikings are and how great the wild are. And all of a sudden, and they're just talking like they normally would. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm super sorry for swearing. I shouldn't do that. And they're like a little school-age boy just standing there. Because they just perceive me as this holier-than-thou, white-collar guy who's super into the Lord. And it's like, no, that's not who I am. I love Jesus with all my heart, but that's not who I am. But we have these perceptions about even God. That... God is angry, vengeful, rageful, especially if you talk to someone who's maybe not super keen on church. Like, they hate God because they see God as this really mean, awful person. And maybe it's legitimate. Maybe their perception of God is how it was represented through the church or a person who loves Jesus. And that's tough because we are saying this is who God is because of how somebody else portrayed him. That perception becomes a belief, and that belief dictates how we act, how we behave, how we do that. 
And this goes all the way back to the very beginning of creation. If you look in Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to open up my Bible here. It's going to be on the screen. But at the very beginning of time, one of the first ever recorded things on this planet, we have two people, Adam and Eve. Adam was the first ever man created. And then Eve was his counterpart, his wife, if you will. And they had everything. God gave them everything to live on, everything they needed. He said, all that we ask that you just stay away from this one tree. And we pick up in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. The serpent is Satan in this story, by the way. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse four, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Did God really say that? I mean, really? If a God is so good and God gives you everything you need, then why would he, why would he not want you to go to that tree? The Bible says that Satan is the father of deception. He's the father of lies. He seeks to come and kill and destroy. And we see the first ever moment that Satan ever comes onto the scene, the first moment that he ever enters this world, we find him doing one thing, altering our perception of God. Did God really say that? Did God really say that wouldn't be good? You're not going to die if you do that. You're just going to become like him. And God doesn't want you to be like him. He wants to be on his own. He doesn't want an equal. He wants to be a big, strong. He wants to be the man in charge. And that perception changed them. Because previously to that, God had provided everything they needed. They gave them all the food, all the sustenance that they needed. He was there for them. He had direct access. It's not like our day and age today. They literally, God was walking around in the garden. He was with them closer than any of us ever possibly could possibly feel. But Satan comes in and switches the perception that we see about God by saying, God didn't really say that. A really good God wouldn't want to hinder anything from you. He doesn't want you to be an equal like him. He's he's being selfish. You're not going to die if you eat that apple. Well, as the story goes, they do eat that apple. And sin, sin enters the world, as we like to call it in the church, which purely means that when we make mistakes in the world, it really goes all the way back to that. But what happens here is that they went from this perception of God, of being content with God and feeling really good with God and feeling tight with God, to it says when they ate the apple, they felt shame-filled. They felt naked. They could, they could see all of their own mistakes, all their own stuff. And so when you act on that perception, it changes. Their perception changed. And when that perception changed, that belief changes. And when that belief changes, it's solidified. And we base all of our actions off of that. Just like the clip I want to show you right now. Yeah. Wow. 
So here, Santa Claus, Tim Allen, is trying to find a wife, following this amazing woman he gels with and clicks with, but she hates Christmas because she had a series of bad experiences and she had all the stuff that happened to her, as you saw, and it was a tough time, and so that quickly became a problem for her, that she hated Christmas, everything to do with Christmas. You can only imagine, didn't believe in Santa, it's not abundantly clear. But what I want to show you, and what goes on, I'll I'll end with the last clip here in a little bit. Perceptions are things that often will guide us. Like I said, we, we see them, we perceive things, we immediately start making decisions and snap judgments. But the thing with perceptions, our perceptions are fluid. Our perceptions of certain things can change. It's the reason why when you see the same person who you used to think hated you because they had that scowl on their face, when you see them smile, when you see them do something nice for somebody, all of a sudden you start to think, Maybe they don't hate the world. Maybe they're not a vengeful, awful person. Perceptions, that was aggressive. I think someone laughed at that. Yeah, that was aggressive. But it happens. But perceptions will change. And perspectives will change. And in 2 Kings Kings chapter 6, it's one of my all-time favorite stories. Because what happens is you have this man who, his name is Elisha, and he's a prophet of God. And he's really close with God, and he's doing some really great things for God. But there's a problem. Elisha is a a part of the nation of Israel, and Israel is God's people. And there is a certain army that wants to violently kill everyone in Israel. And so they come up with this great plan of saying, all right, troops, Aramanian troops, we are going to get all of us together in the middle of the night. We're going to sneak into the valley so they don't know we're coming. And in the morning, as soon as the sun comes up, we're going to pounce on them and destroy them and win and be happy and merry. Like I said, Christmas, just death and destruction. So they do that. It was a great plan. They would have caught Israel completely by surprise. They would have destroyed them. But there was a little man named Elisha who was close with God. And God said, hey, Elisha, um, the army's coming. And they're going to kill you really fast. And so get a hold of the king of Israel and move now. So he does that. They move. Nation pounces. They're not there. So on and so forth. This happens three, four, five, six times until finally... The king over here is going, you know what? 
This little runt, Elisha, keeps messing up my plans. Let's not go kill the army. Let's kill him so then we can kill the army. So they send the whole entourage to go after Elisha. And that's where we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. Here they are. They're sitting at camp. It's early in the morning. And here comes Elisha's servant coming out, scratching his head, looking forward to a cup of coffee. And this is what happens in verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, let me pause for a quick second. There are two of them. And Bible scholars say that there was about 10,000 horses and chariots and soldiers around them. So either Elisha couldn't count or there was something else part of the story. And that's where I want to finish here in verse 17. Elijah prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Perceptions are inevitable. We live on a spinning rock, a clock that never stops. Life never slows down. Things are always happening whether we're moving or not, which means we're always going to be perceiving, always experiencing things no matter what we do. That's inevitable. But how we choose to see it is something we can control. Perceptions are going to happen. We're going to see something. We're immediately going to perceive it. We're going to feel it. We're going to start to decide in our mind what we think about that situation. But we do not have to choose to follow that perception. We do not have to choose to accept that as reality. We can choose to see the bigger picture, the true reality, the truth. Because the reality is things are going to happen to you. Things are going to be said about you. Things are going to happen to you. And it's up to you if you want to give into that and respond to that as you naturally will, or if you want to see it the way God sees it. Because what I love about this story is that Elisha was showing your perspective does not have to be defined by your perception. Your perspective can be something different than what your eyes can see. On paper, they were done for. I would be like the servant going, oh crap. Yeah, we're surrounded. What are we going to do? And Elisha had a different perspective. He knew they were safe because he had known God had been around him the whole time. He knew they were surrounded by the armies of, of the, the heavenly armies. Let me just repaint this picture because if you're not super familiar with church, this can be like, what the heck are you talking about? Yes, in the middle of this camp, there was Elisha. There was his servant. They were just sitting there completely at the mercy of 10,000 troops who were bound and determined to come down and kill them as fastly as they could. But around the army of 10,000 people, there was a heavenly army. There was the angels above them that were much stronger. Chris, our pastor here, talks all the time, like, angels are not like little precious moments that you see on your Christmas tree. Like, like angels, like heavenly angels, like we, the heavenly realms, they talk about spiritual warfare. Good versus evil is happening. It's not just precious moments. It's There's legitimate darkness versus, versus light happening here, and that's what they're seeing here. As there's all these people around them, but these, these heavenly angels are above them, ready to protect them and keep them safe. 
And that is why Elisha was not scared, because he knew they were safe. So your perspective does not have to be defined by your perception. Instead, you can let your perspective be exactly what it is. We're going to experience and see things all day, every day, all the time. Perceptions will come. That person at work that you can't stand. They're always giving you grief. They're always doing something to you. They're always maybe not doing the right thing. They're conniving. They're slimy. We have these perception of this. We have this perception of what it's like to be parents. We just perceive that our kids are just always going to be this way. Or we perceive ourselves as parents of, I'm not raising them appropriately. I'm not doing what I should be doing. I'm making mistakes. I have this perception of myself. We have perceptions of the battles that we walk through. The perception of, I'm not going to make it through this. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. I don't know what this is going to look like. It's never going to be the same. We have this perception of what it's like to walk through Christmas or any day for that matter, with this aching pain of a loss that we experience. We have this perception that it's never going to get better, or it's never going to get healed, or we're always going to feel the weight that we have. We have these temptations, these struggles, these things. You see where I'm going? We have these perceptions. And they come, 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 and they come. And it's natural to just feel them, and sense them, and walk through them. But God and the Bible say something different. The Bible tells us that God is with us in every single situation, good or bad. The Bible tells us that God is fighting for us and behind us. The Bible tells us that when we have no hope, we have a reason to because God's going to come through even when it doesn't feel like it. We can feel and see and experience things in front of us and even feel them internally, but we also have the option to choose something different because God says that we can. We have the choice to have a different perspective because the Bible tells us that God can replace bitterness with understanding. God can replace that deprivation with healing and hope. God can replace that hopelessness with a testimony because of who he is. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And it takes effort But we don't have to be confined by our circumstances or our perceptions, just like this last clip I want to show you.
That clip goes on, Charlie goes on to say, so many people think that seeing is believing, but believing is seeing. And I love that clip because I think our Bible verse today is saying the same thing. What you see does not have to be what you believe. What you believe really can be what you see. And I want to show you something today. I think a lot of times if we were being honest, here's who we are. This is me. And there's a lot of things that make us who we are. We have our family. We have our job. We have our hobbies. I put hunting on here. We have all these things that make us up. We have different gifts. We have different things. All these certain things make us who we are. And if we're being honest, I think a lot of us in here, not all of us, would probably have this faith ball in here. This is part of who we are. We have faith. We have belief in God. This is, this is my faith is a part of who I am. And, and this is who we are. This is how we behave every day. This is what makes us us. But what I found is what happens is inevitably at some point or maybe very often, we have these things, these problems that come into our life that are massive. For some of us, if this is who we are, our problem seems a whole lot bigger than this little box here. Sometimes our problems seem huge, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety, whether it's going through a tough marriage, whether it's going through a loss, whether it's going through this tough thing at work. We all can relate with what it's like to have a problem in our life. And what happens is this problem, it comes into our life and it disrupts things and our family gets in trouble and our job gets in trouble and we're just so disrupted and all discombobulated because this problem is just messing with our life. And so what we try to do is we try and go, okay, where's, where's my faith ball? Where, there it is. Where's my faith ball? Okay, I need to get into church. I need to get into worship. I need to get my Bible because I need this faith ball to get bigger so that this problem can get eventually get, get pushed out. Or if you have a lot of faith, here's what happens. You have this problem in your life and you go, you know what? I believe that God is big. I believe God can do it. So I'm just going to try and let God cover that situation. I'm going to try and just let God just... Just get, get, get over this problem. Get this, this handled. God, just be with this problem. Just get, just take care of it, God. And you know what, God? It would be awesome if you just got rid of it. It's our perspective. It's our perception of who God is. We, as human beings, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around this infinite being. It's impossible. It's like looking up into the stars and trying to figure out how far that really is away. It's very hard to wrap our finite brains around an infinite being. And so a lot of times we try and just put God into this box and put God into this small situation. But in reality, if, we're, if we look at a biblical perspective, it's not a matter of letting God cover our situation. It's understanding that God's box is a whole lot bigger than we are. God's box. Where is God? There he is. <laughs> Hi, God. UPS doesn't have a box big enough for who God is, really. But I want you to see what happens here. When we understand that God is around us all of the time, whether we want to or not, when we start to understand that God is so big and so intentional and so caring about who we are, even, by the way, if you absolutely hate and don't believe in God, guess what? He still cares for you, too. So when we understand that God, for better or for worse, is surrounding us all the time, it doesn't matter what the problem does. It doesn't matter how much it interrupts our life. It doesn't matter because the Bible, just like this box, tells us, where's my Bible? Good grief. <laughs> Colossians chapter 1, I love this verse, verse 17. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There is so often in life that our life just feels like it's being ripped apart and so discombobulated and so messy and so messed up and it feels like, God, it's going to fall apart. What is going on? I don't know what to do with this. But he holds it together because no matter how disoriented and dismantled your life feels, it's still in the box. It's still being held together by who he is. And so you talk about believing is seeing versus seeing is believing. My challenge for all of us today is to see that God is for you and behind you and not against you. You don't have to beg him to be a part of your life. You don't have to beg him to be a part of your life. Maybe our prayer instead of saying, God, will you show up? Is God, will you show me that you're already here? Because he is. That army around Elisha was there the whole time. He didn't pray and the army showed up. He prayed and they could see him. So my prayer for us in this room, maybe you're not going through a problem right now and that's awesome. But this perspective of God sticks with us in every situation. If you're in a good moment, seek him. Praise, worship, come to church, read your Bible. If things aren't going so great, do the same. But the more we look for God, the more he is to be seen. Because he is surrounding us all of the time. We just don't always feel it in here. Because we live in a world of perception. We live in a world where everything in our world tells us differently. But church, can I tell you, um, this book hasn't proved me wrong quite yet. The God that I read about in here, I don't always perceive God to be who he is, but he always comes through. And for some of us, maybe that's the word we need to hear today. Maybe you perceive God as like, Derek, that's a good, cool illustration. That's, that's cool, but you know what? God didn't show up for me. God didn't show up when I need him to. And if that's you in this place, I'm sorry. I don't know why. I tell my wife all the time, I don't know all the answers, but she doesn't believe me. I don't know why God does what he does. But I do know he has a reason for everything that happens. And there are a lot of things that happen in your life that God didn't do. But he desires to be there for you in the midst of it. Romans chapter 8 says he works all things, not some things, not just the good things, not just the bad thing, all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Church, if you are in that stage of life where you are feeling like your life is falling apart, I encourage you to let go. Stop trying to hold your life together on your own power. Stop trying to just fix it yourself. Let God be God and hold it together for you. Maybe for you that means you just get, after church today, you're going to go home and just relax and just pray and get into your Bible maybe for the first time. Maybe for some of us, it's more of an actionable step. Part of letting go is reaching out to that person that you've been harboring this bitterness and this unforgiveness toward and saying like, I'm sorry. Or even just, I forgive you. It's between you and God. You know what your life looks like. But I pray that everyone in this room knows that God is for you and behind you. 
And we serve a God whose name is Jesus Christ. And no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've walked through, he loves you the same. And if you've never had him a part of your life, all you have to do is just, I'm going to pray here in a second. All you have to do is say, Jesus, will you come into my life? I know I'm not perfect. I know I don't have it all together, but God, would you be a part of my life? And he's there. But if you are in that stage where you feel like your life is all over the place, talk to somebody. Come pray with us. Reach out to somebody. Because God's around you. You just have to see it. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, for the person in this room that maybe has never had that moment with you, they've never welcomed you into their life. Or you know what, God, maybe they've had a bad experience. And so they vow to never let you be a part of their life again. But today, God, you're showing yourself for who you are. A loving God. An intentional God. A caring God. A kind God. A sensitive God. An all-knowing God. God, I pray that if that is somebody in this room, God, they would know that all they have to do is just welcome you into their life. Just a simple prayer of saying, Jesus, would you forgive me and be a part of my life? And God, you're going to show up. But for God, for everyone else in this room, maybe who they do have that knowledge of you, they know who you are. But it doesn't change the fact that they're walking through a storm. They're walking through even a good season. God, I pray that today we would have eyes to see you. We would have eyes to see you doing the good things. We'd have eyes to see you doing the good in our life, in our world, in our community. God, we would see you doing what you're called to do. God, you're changing lives. God, may you give us the eyes to see that. But God, for those that are walking through a battle, walking through a storm, may they know, God, that the God behind them is bigger than the problem that they have. God, that no problem is too intense, too strong, too momentous is for God you to work and you to be in the situation so God would you arm them with strength would you arm them with peace would you arm them with truth because God you're already surrounding them just give them eyes to see it God give us eyes to see today you moving and doing something fresh and new we're thankful for who you are God would you bless them as they walk out this door may they walk out with just a lightness about them knowing God that you've got them It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Pastor Chris will be back next week. He's excited to see all of you. But in the meantime, we'll see you then. And if you have anything for the bus, just bring it with you to church next Sunday. We'll take care of it. And uh, we're excited for it. Have a good Sunday, everybody. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.